join our family. About 8 o'clock this evening, give or take, our little Jenna now will be 8 years old. And so on this particular day, it, it hit me as we think for a moment about the sanctity of life, of how precious life really is, amen? Now, I want to take, before I get into the sermon, I want to take a moment to just very specifically address a question, and that, here's the question, is the unborn child a person? Now, I know I may be somewhat speaking to the choir here this morning, but, um, but I think if the church is not very, very clear, and if pastors are not very clear, and if Christians are not very clear on the answer to this question, I don't know how we can expect anybody else to be, amen? So let me take a moment and just specifically address this question, and then we're going to look at this sermon. Today's message is going to speak to us very specifically about how we ought to value life, how we ought to value one another, and how we ought to minister to our community. But is the unborn child a person? Well, number one, scientific evidence has shown that, well, oftentimes in the media and in certain places they'll refer to an unborn child as the fetus, that the unborn child has all the crucial genetic elements of human life. Number two, the differences between the unborn baby and the born baby are differences that really don't count and shouldn't count in determining whether this is a human life. For instance, size, shape, looks, immature reasoning capacity, physical dependency. The reality is, is even after people are born and even after some people have lived for years and years, if we were going to base our discrimination upon size and shape, well, some must be in trouble, amen? And, of course, the ultrasound, by the way, has begun to get people's attention. And even now, uh, my, my ministry assistant at, at the convention, she's, getting ready, she's preparing to be a grandmother, and, and her daughter has incredible ultrasound pictures. And I think the ultrasound, I think God's using that technology to open many eyes to the reality of how that unborn child is so very, very much alive. Doctors treat the unborn as legitimate patients just as they do the born children. I mean, for instance, I can remember going to the doctor with my wife and and the doctor, of course, was very interested in my wife's health, but the doctor was always checking on the baby's heartbeat and the baby's health from very early on. The idea that the Bible teaches that human life begins with breath, Genesis 2, 7, breaks down uh, really, uh, uh, the, the, uh, really kind of uh, is understood better, I'll put it that way, or kind of uh, is, is understood more clearly when we understand that, that really other texts make it clear that this is the idea of that there is life in our blood, Leviticus 17, 11. It's not the idea that when that child cries for the first time, all of a sudden she becomes alive. The idea is that that baby once conceived is alive. The age of viability in the womb, by the way, is getting earlier and earlier and earlier with no clear line demarcation between when a person might be human and pre-human. It's just illogical to even think that way. And then, and then really what absolutely is stunning to me is the insistence of certain political leaders and activists to keep partial birth abortion procedures legal. The idea that basically four inches makes the difference between whether or not a person is considered a person or not. So loved ones, those are just some logical and I think some very obvious reasons, but the reality is this, as a church, 
And as followers of Christ, we're going to have to give, evidently, a deeper answer. You see, I believe our faith is going to have to make a difference to get the world's attention. You see, the Bible makes it clear that people who are lost, that they're blind to logic. We can have all the logical arguments we want. We're going to have to go much deeper, and that is we've got to impact the souls of mankind. People must see in our very faith that there is something that is different about us. There must be something about us that gets their attention. And that's really what I want to plead with you about today. So I want to ask you to take a Bible and find the book of James. James chapter 1. And by way of review, remember last week I shared with you that really two reasons behind studying the book of James. And we're calling this series Faith Works. That first of all, we will examine the relationship between what we believe and how we behave. And this is something that the world very much needs to see. You see, the world knows that we preach sermons. The world knows that we sing our songs. The world may even have some idea about what we believe, but the world desperately needs to see how we behave. And then number two, we will explore the impact of our faith on everyday lives and on everyone else. And specifically today, we're going to look at James 1.27, just one verse out of chapter 1, that very much reminds us that we need to consider whether or not our religion is real. Are we really servants of God, or do we have a counterfeit ministry? Now, whether or not religion is real is something that many people are talking about right now. Do you know earlier today... The other side of the world, and I've been to this city, in Manila, Philippines, the Pope gathered to have mass and millions gathered in the rain. I wonder how many people in Central Virginia today woke up to that rain pounding down on their roofs and said, you know what, I'm just not sure I want to venture out in the rain to go to church today. Well, millions earlier today gathered in the rain in Manila to hear the Catholic Pope give Catholic mass. Some people say that's real religion. Some people today are asking questions about another religion as troops are now guarding the streets in Belgium, unheard of, unprecedented, as there are growing concerns about what the British prime minister is now calling a death cult, people who claim allegiance to Islam. And there are various debates between whether or not this is really Islam or not. The reality is that some people are doing heinous crimes in the name of their religion. Jewish people now in France fearing for their lives. That was in CNN today on their website in the news early this morning. And even our own Supreme Court has now announced that in this term it will attempt to consider and answer the question, a question that the church has answered for generations, and that is what really is marriage? As the Supreme Court will take up the same-sex marriage debate and supposedly will give us this life-changing news. Loved ones, let's understand this. More than ever, it is time for us as the evangelical, as the Christian church, as followers of Christ, to understand that our religion must make a difference. Amen? We have a world that is in desperate need of us showing them that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But we have to ask ourselves a question. Is our ministry counterfeit? I have here a dollar bill. I have a friend who works for the Federal Reserve, and he works here at the Richmond Fed, and 
been down there and I've toured uh, uh, that the inner workings of the Federal Reserve Bank there, went down uh, into where their vault was. It was interesting. You know, if you think it's hard, to, if you think you have to go through a lot of security to get on an airplane today, you ought to try to get into the Federal Reserve. The entire time we were touring that place, there was a police officer not very far uh, from our group, and I don't know why, but he always had his eye on me. He must know I was a Baptist preacher. Didn't want to let me get too close to the money. Amen. And uh, anyhow, but I have here a dollar bill. And, you know, the Secret Service, which is charged with fighting uh, counter, uh, the counterfeiters, it has some different characteristics or things that they will look for, that they've identified. See, there are different marks on our money that attempt to prove that it's genuine. For instance, uh, if you look on, a, on, on the face of a dollar bill, you'll see a portrait. And according to the Secret Service, the genuine portrait appears lifelike and even will seem to stand out distinctly. And, and in the counterfeits, the portrait usually seems lifeless and flat. There's also a Federal Reserve and Treasury seals on a genuine uh, dollar bill. It has certain points that they can identify when they look at it very, very closely. And the counterfeit seals are often uneven blunt or or broken in how they're conveyed on a dollar the border the border has fine lines in a genuine bill that are clear and unbroken on the counterfeit the lines the lines in the outer margin and scroll work may be blurred or indistinct the serial numbers on a genuine dollar bill have distinctive style and evenly space and are evenly spaced and the paper The paper, perhaps, is the most unique of all in which the dollar bill is printed. In fact, it is illegal to manufacture for any other use paper, the same paper that is used in a genuine dollar bill. The question is this, is our, do we take, put it this way, do we take being counterfeit as seriously as the U.S. government takes being counterfeit? Well, the Lord God does. The Lord God takes very seriously that our serving him ought to be genuine. It ought to be noticeable. There ought to be something distinctive about how we serve the Lord. So I want to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's word. I want to read you this one very important verse of James. James chapter 1 verse 27. Listen to God's word. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let me read it again. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans or the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray. Father, I pray today that you will help us to understand what it means to be genuine servants of God. And God, I pray you will help us to detect if there's anything counterfeit about our ministry today. And God, I pray that you will indeed influence, empower, equip, and embolden this church to be genuine servants of you. Oh, Lord, this world needs our ministry. But it doesn't need a fraud. It doesn't need a fake. It needs genuine servants of God. So, Lord, I pray the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart will be pleasing in your sight. Oh, Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and be seated. Well, as we begin looking at this, the, really one of the first things that jumps out at me in verse 27 
is the Bible says religion that is pure and undefiled before God. Before God the Father. Before God the Father. Understand this morning what we're talking about is something that ought to matter to us as family. That we are the very family of God. You see, I think before we're going to really understand the importance and take seriously the importance of our ministry in this world, you and I need to understand something, that we are now, as children of God, as followers of Christ, we are part of the family of God. So what does that mean? Well, it means that we've been saved and actually adopted into the family of God. You see, the Lord God loves us so very, very much. I want us to to really get this and for us to keep coming back to this. Because you see, I can can sit here and try to give you motivations and encouragement and give you a rah-rah challenge, but the reality is this, is day in and day out, I must continue to come back to the sheer reality of what God has done to rescue me from my sin and my situation. We have been saved and adopted into the family of God. Let me give you some scriptures. I'm going to read through them quick, so you're not going to be able to probably look and find them as fast as I'm going to read them because I've, I've already written them down. Romans 5, 6 through 8. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But listen to this, church. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Don't ever get over the reality that you and I have been saved and adopted into the family of God. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Aren't you thankful that we've been saved and adopted into the family of God? I think about how Romans 8, 15 makes this so clear. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, out at the movies right now is, a, is an update of a movie that was made years ago, and it's the movie Annie. If you've ever watched the movie Annie, of course, Annie is a, is, is, is a movie that is, is a story about a little girl who ends up being adopted by a very, very wealthy and influential man. And, of course, I won't take the time here to go into the movie, but the whole idea is when it's over, you know, all said and done, the movie's over, is it's to have kind of moved us to the idea of what Daddy Warbucks in the original movie has done for little orphan Annie. Of course, that's Hollywood. Hollywood's remade Annie. It's a little different spin on it, but it's really the same gist. But yesterday, I was reminded that real life's often even better than Hollywood. I was at Jenna's basketball game at church and watching there at the upward basketball game, and a friend of mine, Lou, comes in, and, and I see with him his youngest daughter, there coming in, Faith coming in there with him. And, 
And I motioned, they came over, they sat down next to me. And they were there to watch one of his other daughters, Autumn, playing basketball. And a little bit later, his wife, Patty, was going to bring one of their other daughters, Hope, and I've tried to keep all their names straight, the three girls, uh, in because she was going to be one of the cheerleaders. And sitting over to my left was one of their sons named Caleb. Now, I have not mentioned to you Jake, uh, Casey, and Matthew. That's their three other children. That's their three biological children. The ones, the ones I mentioned, the first, for instance, Caleb, Caleb, who was sitting to my left, they adopted from Russia. He used to get up on all fours as a little baby, and he would rock himself to sleep. And for years, they would find himself still trying to rock himself to sleep in their own home because he didn't know what it was like for someone to hold him and to rock him. He rocked himself to sleep. Then I see these three little girls, all from China, different parts of China. They're now sisters. They would have never known each other if it hadn't been for Lou and Patty. Lou and Patty spared no expense, traveled to the other side of the world to literally rescue these little girls from who knows what. And yesterday, without any thought of what their life could have been, they had smiles on their faces, basketballs in their hands, and uniforms on their bodies as they were having a great time. And I watched how they would come up and they would talk to their mama and their daddy. They, they understand and they will even understand better, I believe, when they're grown-ups, when they mature, what it means to be saved and adopted. Loved ones, I want us today to understand this, that God, the Bible says here, the Father, he's your Father. He's your Father. Just as Lou and Patty went to the other side of the world, and they picked those little girls out, and they saved them and rescued them and adopted them and made them their own. And with no discrimination and no favoritism and no distinction between their biological children and their adopted children, they're their children, the Heavenly Father was willing to, to give all, even his own son, to come from heaven itself to this world to rescue you and me, to save us and to adopt us into his family. Amen? That ought to motivate us to have a tremendous love for him and thankfulness for him, and it ought to move us to want to be like him. You see, we're saved and we're adopted. But understand this, as the family of God, we're to be helpful and we're to be holy because, you see, we want to be like our daddy. We want to be like our father. Our father was willing to save us and to adopt us. And, and, and I want to be like my father. A few of you, this just occurs to me. A few of you this morning saw Mark, my son, come in with me and made the comment that, that it would be hard for me to dispute that he's my son. I take, I take great joy when people say things like that to me. I love it when people say, you know what, he reminds us so much of you. In fact, just saying that when his, his stature, when he, when he stands, he, it's undeniable that he's yours. You know what our Father takes great joy of, God the Father? When people might would say, you know what, you remind us of Almighty God. We serve and we minister in the name of Jesus. Wouldn't it be wonderful if this world would say, you remind us of Jesus. You remind us of Jesus. You see, this word religion here, it's, it's not used very, in very many places in the Bible. And what it means is it means the outward practice and the service to God. 
It means more than us just kind of reading the Bible on our own. It means that our faith ought to make a difference in our lives and it ought to make a difference in others' lives. So what are some characteristics? Just two I'll share with you. Two specifically I want you to write down that come right from verse 27. You see, God is very specific. He says, this is what I want to see in your life. This is, this is what I want to see. He says, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. That's characteristic number one, a practical compassion towards others. That's a characteristic of us being genuine servants of God and not being counterfeits. A practical compassion towards others. You see, God has saved me, so I ought to serve others. God has saved me, so I ought to serve others. The verb visit, to visit, it's also used in Matthew 25. It's, it's, it's used in Matthew 25 of visiting the sick. The idea here is it means that we're to look after, that we're to provide help for, we're to take care of. It's the idea that we're to be guardians and providers. The idea that the needs of others ought to be elevated in our lives. Specifically, he mentions the fatherless. He mentions orphans and he mentions the widows. You see, in this time in world history, these would have been two groups in great need. Orphans typically would have been homeless, homeless. Widows typically would have felt very helpless. There was nothing even close to a social security system. There wasn't even many of the things that today we benefit from. In fact, in fact I won't go down a list, but, but it would be very easy to just simply articulate the number of ministries and organizations that we have here in the United States and around the world that when you go back and you look at their history and their founding, were motivated because someone had a fresh understanding that they had been saved and adopted in the family of God and God moved them to want to show that same compassion towards others. Salvation Army, YMCA, Red Cross, many hospitals, many universities were founded by those who had deeply, deeply come to love God and understand what God had done for them and they were motivated to want to express that love towards others. You know, Jesus takes this very seriously. Very seriously. Our practical compassion towards others. Matthew 25. Matthew 25, verse 35. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger? And welcome you, or when did we see you naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. You did it unto me. Jesus takes this very seriously. He tells that parable of the good Samaritan mentioned in the video. You can read that in Luke 10 when you get home. Maybe you want to read that with your family. Read it with your children, your grandchildren. Really, in Luke 10, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, you really find three philosophies of life. Of course, they're the thieves. The thieves, they're what I call the beater-uppers. They come and they beat them up and they rob them. There are folks out there like that. They just want to beat you up. But then there's a group of folks, they consider themselves to be religious. Remember the, the priest and the Levite, I call them the passer-uppers. They just pass them right up. They don't help at all. But then there's the picker-upper, the good Samaritan. What's your philosophy of life this morning? 
What's this church's philosophy of life? Are we beater-uppers? Are we pastor-uppers? Are we picker-uppers? I know what God's will is for us. It's for us to be picker-uppers. Amen? I pray that God would move us to have eyes to see the needs all around us. You know, I'm thankful for crisis pregnancy centers. I'm thankful for, for what Bethany Christian services are doing in the lives of the orphans and those in need of adoption. But you know what? God can use each and every one of us in different ways. God can use us to minister to the children of this community. I don't have a specific list. I'm still getting to know this church and this community, but many of you, you perhaps know. Perhaps you're already involved. Just know this. It is unmistakably God's will for us to be people of practical compassion towards others. You know, it makes a difference. People matter. Unfortunately, oftentimes, people to us just seem to be unnoticed. I think about a young man named Stephen, born February 24, 1955. I'm thankful that his unwed uh, mother, who was a graduate student, Joanna Simpson, I'm thankful that she didn't have an abortion, but she chose adoption. In fact, uh, Stephen would be adopted almost immediately by an accountant named Clara and a machinist father named Paul who would love him and raise him and care for him. He would graduate from high school in, in Northern California. He would, he would uh, go on to college just for a little while and then would work some odd jobs and, some, and get involved in some different things. In 1974, though, he, he really got involved in, in, uh, in the gaming computer programming industry and helped write a program for Atari uh, shortly thereafter, he and a couple friends decided to start their own computer company. They wanted to choose a simple name for the company. They chose the name Apple. This Stephen is none other than the late Steve Jobs. Perhaps you've used an iPhone, an iPad, or a computer. Perhaps the next time you pick one up and use it, you might remember that, thankfully, a lady many years ago chose adoption over abortion. Now, from what we understand, the late Steve Jobs never came to profess Christ as his Lord and Savior, but I simply mention his life because it is a reminder that lives do make a difference. Choices make a difference. You know, practical compassion is what we're called to be about. I want you to watch a video here that makes it real personal. It's a story from this church, a story from this community. Watch Rebecca's story. Guys, play this. Watch this. Well, for most of y'all who don't know me, or if you don't know this, I am adopted, and I was brought to the Barklow family when I was five and it's a two-year process and I was officially adopted when I was seven and like the weird thing is is they like were thinking about like adoption and then they got a call on a Wednesday and they're like hey do you want to foster a little girl and they said sure and then like usually it's like you know a couple months to like a year process for like them to like get the child but they got me like two days later so once they, well, they got me because it was an emergency case. And the reason why it was an emergency was because when I was born, my mom was 15 and my dad was 30. And they weren't the best parents. But, um, my, like, 
dad was like he was addicted to alcohol and like he'd, he was always drunk and they all did like they both did drugs and alcohol and um before I was born my mom tried getting an abortion with me but it failed well my dad tried killing me when I was like two and four and like I was taken away when I was like two and a half and went to a foster home well I guess they got parenting help but it obviously didn't work and I was brought back to him and then my dad tried killing me and my mom and that's the last thing I remember of them and like so I was taken away forever and like the um and like my dad like my mom and dad would both abused me when I was a child and like my dad would molest me and like come and like they'd lock me in a dark room for days and I have issues with like being alone in the dark because they did that and then like you know I feel like they gave me up and it's hard going through life like knowing that even your parents did your real parents didn't want you and because of like what they did to me I have a really hard time trusting people like I barely there's like there's like I literally don't trust anyone almost like I also like because of my parents, I have, like, I always want to be accepted. Like, if people don't accept me, like, it hurts because, like, I don't know. I just, like, I have a really hard time with people not accepting me. Like, yeah, this summer I went to Belize and worked in an orphanage. And, like, and like it was hard seeing those kids there because, like, only thing I could, like, think of was, like, you know, that should be me and they should have my life because my life is easy now. Like, I have parents who take care of me. I have, like, I know where my next meal is coming from, like. Um, the first time I met my parents now was I came to their door and they had balloons and they had purple care bear, which I still have somewhere in my room. But it was purple care bear and I came in their house and then they had, like, a room ready. I went to Friendly's, <laughs> and then the power went out that night there, but it was still fun, because I had my first pan bacon, eggs, and bacon. I don't like bacon. Um, my life growing up with them has been better than it would be if I was my parents, but I mean, anywhere would probably be better with them. Like, boiled, I guess you can see. Well, everyone calls me spoiled, so I'm just going to say I'm spoiled. Um, but it's been good. Like, they've given me opportunities that I wouldn't have had if I was, like, in an orphanage or in foster care or with my real parents, so it's been good. Um, I play lots of sports, and I play, I like playing field hockey because, like, you can get your anger out when you hit the ball, and I have, I had a lot of anger in me, so, like, I don't know. Like, running helps clear my mind, and so playing sports, like, helps me, like, you know, not think about some of the things like that I would think about. I'm like, yep, it's cold and I'm tired. <laughs> well, for most of y'all who don't know me, or if you don't know this, I am adopted and okay, I think that's looping back. I guys. was brought to the Barclow family when I was five. That their video is very personal to a family in this church. And I wanted you to see that because it was shared with me. And, and, and many of you probably know that young lady, seen her around here. And I want to ask us to just take a moment now. It's one thing to study the scripture. 
but it's also very, very helpful for us to see the difference that it makes in one person's life. For us to see this young lady telling us a story, a tough story to share, but then to see her later on in the video with a smile on her face and laughter in her voice, talking about playing field hockey. A difference has been made there. You see, so often we talk about compassion, compassion towards others. And you can hear a sermon and you can make your notes. But when we think about the needs around us, practically speaking, this church, this church is in a position to impact lives. It may be that God wants to to call you and ask you to to, to perhaps step up and to be a, a family that adopts. And this church is working to get in position to help you and encourage you with that. The church that I came from, we did that. We had a fund called the James 127 Fund. And we helped families like Lou and Patty financially. Wasn't a lot, but it was something. Providing support and encouragement, perhaps... Perhaps your children are grown. Perhaps your grandchildren don't even live in the area, and God can use you. I think about you guys, Brother Marty, and how you minister, and you work there in the children's wing and the children's department, helping to make that connection. I want to challenge the teenagers in this church and the students in this church to take seriously the idea that, 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 that no widow in this church ought to have to rake her own leaves. We ought to do that for one another. Now, I don't want to be too ambitious with plans and, and, and tell y'all what y'all to do and what y'all to be about, but I just want to point out that the community takes notice when we show compassion towards one another. Now, there is a flip side. There are two sides to the coin. There is a second side to this dollar bill. It's not just about compassion. It is about a second, second characteristic, and that's mentioned, and I want you to see it before we finish today, to keep one self unstained from the world. You see, it's one thing for us to be socially active, for us to show compassion, and the world will politely applaud that. But what the world also needs to see is the fact that we have a personal holiness in our lives. For instance, the world needs to see that our marriages may not be perfect, but that we are striving by God's grace to have marriages that succeed. The world, I think, can understand that our children may not be perfect, but they must see us attempting to be parents that want to honor the Lord and raise our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You see, this phrase here, to keep oneself unstained from the world, is a warning to us because when we talk about having compassion for others, we're talking about ministering in this world. We see that can be very difficult. Because it is very easy, it's quite easy for us to become what the Bible calls stained by this world. You see, the Bible does tell us that we're to be in this world but not of this world. It says that in the Gospel of John. And it's easy, it's a slippery slope. It's easy to become conformed to this world, but God has kept us in this world. There's a reason that when you and I are saved and we come to Christ, that we're just not immediately transported and zapped into heaven. One is because he uses this world to make us more like Christ, these experiences. But he also wants us to be in this world to be a witness for Christ, to lead others to come to Christ. 
So understand that on the one side, it is compassion. On the other side, it is holiness, holiness. That's one of the reasons we're going to be studying through the book of James is for us to understand how our faith works in this world. Our faith is to make a difference. And I think about, I think about a story I read in the news Remember back in October 2010, the massive tsunami that devastated the Indonesian islands. Well, what they attempted to do is to create a tsunami warning system. And so what they did is they placed buoys out in the ocean. And the idea was as a tsunami would approach, these buoys would begin to give off a warning. And they would warn the residents in those islands to seek safety. What has been discovered is this. As many as 30% of those buoys that are out there in the water aren't working anymore. They've become detached. They've just kind of drifted away from what they were made to do. Well, loved ones, I want us to know that we are to be in this world to sound a warning and to call people to seek Safety in Christ and rescue in Christ. But if like those buoys, we become detached or disabled or we just drift away from the Lord and his calling, we're not useful anymore. So I want to ask a question. I want to ask a question. And it's a sobering question. If this church ceased to exist, would anyone out there, not in here, But would anyone out there miss us? Would anyone miss us if Mount Pleasant just disappeared? You see, when this church was started over now four or five decades ago, I guess, no, no, about three plus decades ago, if I got it right, give or take, this church was started to make a difference. That's why we're here That's why we're here. I want to ask us today to take a close look at our hearts. For us to go to the Lord and to say, Lord, search our hearts. Really, two characteristics I want to leave you with today as a challenge. We ought to be known as people who have compassion towards others. And we need to pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that God will work in our lives to make us people who are holy people, a people who make a difference in this world. I believe all this is possible because of how that verse reminds us that God is our Father. God is our Father. He's put the Holy Spirit in us. He's given us his written word. The same power that has saved you and adopted you into his family will take you and me, and make us holy and helpful for his purposes. I want to ask you to stand with me and bow your heads in prayer. Stand with me, heads bowed in prayer. Right now, would you just say, God, I, I hear the Bible verse that we're to have a ministry to the helpless and the hopeless. God, how would you how would you use me 
to minister with compassion towards others. It may be something as profound as what Lou and Patty did, and that's welcoming four new children into your home. Now, that's a big undertaking. It may be someone in here just wants to offer to to serve in the children's program or to help in preschool so that that mom can, can go to a Bible study. Maybe you want to volunteer at a crisis pregnancy center. Maybe you're going to take your family and you're going to go to one of the widows of this church. You're going to say, dear, dear lady, ma'am, uh, I know you're perfectly healthy. I know you can do this on your own. I know you could hire somebody. But would you just allow my children and me to have the joy of serving you in Jesus' name? And we'd just like to ask you, ma'am, if, if you ever need anything, would you just feel free to call us? Um, by the way, I noticed you got some big oak trees. Um, I got three healthy boys. Um, it'll do them good if they rake your leaves from now on, cut your grass. Wouldn't it be something as, if in this town and around this town and these communities here, if people just began to see a Mount Pleasant Baptist Church bus pull up and people get off and just, just minister. If folks knew when they just got even anywhere close to this property, they were going to get a warm handshake, a hug, and a welcome. Oh, God, I don't know what you might see fit to do in this church in the days to come, but, God, I do pray that you'll help us to take this scripture seriously. Move us to be people of compassion. And God, help us. Help us to be people of holiness. God, I pray for anyone here who's never put their faith in you, Lord Jesus, they'll do so. They'll do so that they'll realize that, God, you want to rescue them and adopt them into your family. Lord, may we seek your face. May folks feel the freedom to come in to pray for their neighbors, pray for their loved ones, pray for some stranger. God, move among us, I pray. May we be genuine servants of God and not counterfeit. In Jesus' name, amen. You come as we...